work expands to fill the time we give it. And we, it's like this concept that, you know, if I give myself a week to write this chapter of a book, it's going to take a week. If I got to write it in the next 24 hours, I'll somehow get it done uh, because of focus. And so when we have these fake false deadlines that we can give ourselves as like a little hack, we have to eliminate the waste. So we find ourselves off of our phone less, we're in email less. Like we, it forces us to think about what do we actually have to do to get this result? And I, I think a lot of us are more wasteful than we think. So it's actually very easy to build something in less time than we think if we're willing to analyze our activity and our time and be really honest with ourselves and to discover what of all the activities we do generate, generate most of the results and what ones just make us feel good about ourselves because we feel like we did something. Welcome to episode 11 of Fight for Brilliance. I'm Justin Keller. I'm glad you're joining me here today. If you're here for the first time, Welcome to this show. This is the show where every single episode, these conversations are designed to challenge you to rebel against complacency and conformity in your life and fight for brilliance in everything that you do. And I'm just glad you're here. If you're coming back, welcome to another show. In this episode, I sit down with entrepreneur and business coach Graham Cochran out of Tampa, Florida. And we talk about his journey going from somebody who never wanted to have his own business uh, just wanted to hopefully be a rock star and play music to being on food stamps and now running two successful businesses. But he's doing this without compromising his family and his faith and the things that matter most to him. And that's what's brilliant about Graham's story. I'm excited for you to get to know him and for you to have his voice in your corner here this week as you listen to this. But before we get into the show, I just want to thank everybody who is helping to grow this podcast. Um, it means a lot to me that you have taken the time to share it on social media every time you listen. Keep doing that. Thank you for the support. Thank you for uh, encouraging others to fight for brilliance in their lives by sharing this. And if you, this show has added value to your life and it's something that you enjoy being part of this community, would you do me a huge favor and just click follow if you're on Spotify. Make sure you're following the show and then hit subscribe if you're on iTunes. And if you don't mind, it would mean a lot if you'd leave a rating or a review as those things also help grow the show. And so uh, I'm on a mission here to me first fight for brilliance in my life and rebel against complacency and conformity. And uh, I'm hoping that together as a community, we can do this and inspire a lot more people to do it as well. And so thanks for being part of the community. I'm excited for all that's ahead, but right now I'm excited for you to get to know one of the most generous human beings I've had a chance to talk to, Graham Cochran. Every one of us are already made brilliant. You don't have to create that brilliance and you don't have to wish you had it. It's already in you, but you're going to have to fight to find that brilliance and you're gonna have to fight even harder to live out your brilliance. Now let's get ready to have a conversation that will challenge you to rebel against complacency and conformity and fight for brilliance in every area of your life. Graham, thanks for making time to connect today. I have been looking forward to this conversation. We were introduced through Heather, who I was on her podcast uh, recently, and as I was talking, she's like, you've got to talk to Graham. I looked up all your stuff, absorbed your content, and I was like, all right, I'm not 
just impressed with the fact that he's built a business from nothing and it looks successful. You'll tell me otherwise if it's not, but you've built a successful business. And the thing that impressed me more than that, though, was the way you've done it. And I saw your schedule on your life, like how you manage your time and you fit this into your, your life instead of the other way around. And so I was really impressed with that. Um, we'll talk more about that. But I really think this conversation is going to be great. Um, if you're listening and you think that pursuing your dreams or building a business, you know, building a church is going to cost you your life, I think this conversation with Graham might just bust that myth a little bit. So Graham, uh, welcome. Thanks for being with me. And why don't you just go ahead and let everybody know a little bit about who you are and just a quick overview and sort of your story. Yeah, man, I, uh, I got into business kind of against my own will. I didn't want to go into business. I, I always tell people I'm sort of a, a scaredy cat. And so I like predictability. So I liked a paycheck and I always had sort of regular jobs. But the, the recession in 2009 changed that. My wife and I moved from Virginia to Florida where we are now in Tampa to help a buddy start a church. So I was, we just kind of left our jobs in our homes and, and said, we'll come down, find new jobs. And we all were volunteer because it was all a, a church plant. So I was leading the worship team and found a job, which was really hard to do. I had like 50 interviews. It was, Florida was a bad time to, to bad place to move in 2009, but it was in that season where um, I got a job, had our first baby, bought our first house, and then the company I was working for ran out of money and they closed up, and so I, I was out of a job. And so I was always freelance recording bands. I'm a musician, so by trade, I knew how to not only write songs and play and perform, but I also recorded other bands and produced and, and made sort of like a side living doing that. I liked it on the side. It was nice and comfortable. And uh, so I, I needed to make that my full-time living as quickly as possible, try to ramp that up. Um, and I had this weird idea that if I, I didn't know anybody in Florida, so my network was zero down here. And I figured while I'm trying to get to know people, why don't I just put some content online showing what I'm doing with my clients, what I'm doing in the studio so that maybe somehow someone would find me mm. online and hire me um, so it was, that was my strategy was maybe someone will find us. <laughs> that was it. Uh, and that began a crazy journey that God had me on of stumbling into something that I thought was just going to be a means to an end, which would just get me work. And really the idea was that this thing over here, this, this content I was putting out, I called it the recording revolution. It was a blog. It was a YouTube channel. Uh, this thing was going to be the next eight to 10 years of my life. It's what's been the last 10 years now of becoming uh, an educator, becoming a, a content creator, becoming a business owner, learning about content marketing and, and digital products and coaching. And it's just been a strange journey where now I help musicians all over the world take their ideas and make them a sonic reality when they don't have a lot of money, they don't have any education about audio. They just, a lot of them are churches or bands or just people that want their stuff to sound good. And in the process, God built this massive business that was bigger than I ever expected, taught me a lot of things. And then I realized through that, this is the end of the story, that I, I love entrepreneurship and I love marketing and I love, it's really just connect, getting your ideas out there and connecting with somebody else. Um, and I love the freedom that a business and especially an online business can afford and all these things I didn't think were possible, I realized were possible. And so it's been a fun discovery of, of new loves and new uh, passions. When you say that um well a couple things one you kind of made it sound easy that you just figured out a way all right and 
was it easy to figure out a way? I mean, you just talk about, ah, I put up a blog, people will find me. I mean, was it easy? Did it just kind of happen or did it take a lot of work? What was it like for you, that journey? Well, okay, so that was the quick answer. I mean, it's simple. It's been simple. I, I'm not that smart and I didn't know that there were other people doing this in different niches at the time, so I didn't really have any help. So I was kind of stumbling around in the dark. So I probably could have done it faster if I had some education. But what it looked like was me putting out articles and videos three times a week, um, every week for, for the first four years. I've since scaled it back a bit. But in between gigs, I had time. So I'd write two articles, put out a video. Uh, no one was listening, reading, watching at first. But when a couple people found certain things, you know, YouTube started to pull a video up on a certain keyword and maybe I'd get five viewers or a couple followers. And then somebody would leave a comment. And if they asked a question like, hey, this is cool. What about, how do you do X, Y, and Z? Okay, that was my idea for my next content. And they want to know about this. And then I would create content on that. And a lot of listening to what people want and creating what people want, answering questions. You talk a lot. I was on your Instagram today. You're talking about social media. And it's not about just um, just posting all the time. It's about adding value. And so I was trying to, find, trying to figure out what do people need help with and how could I add value to them so I would create content that was valuable to them. But I didn't know what I was doing. So there was 18 months where we were on food stamps as a family. My wife's a photographer, so she was trying to take weddings. Again, we didn't know anybody. We had just moved to a new city. So she's trying to find work. I'm trying to find work. And in between, I'm just blogging and making videos, feeling like an idiot, on, on food stamps, actually, my wife asked me if we could apply because um, they we had a friend whose husband lost a job in the construction industry and they were getting government assistance for their groceries. And it was really helpful. And my wife's like, we got to apply for this. And I told her, no, flat out, I'm not doing this. What was keeping you from, you know, I guess I'm guessing you were obviously at a point where that was something you seriously needed to consider. If she's bringing that up to you, the wife is usually smarter, right? So, you know, what was what was keeping you from being willing to maybe get the help if you needed it. It was my pride. You know, I, I was, mm. I grew up, you know, middle class, never really had any problems. Always, I worked a job since I was 14, college educated, you know, like I mean, here I was 26. There's no reason why I should have gov government assistance was how I viewed it. Um, that's, that's for those people, whoever those people were, um, which I understand is a really uh, arrogant thing to say, but that's how I felt in my heart was like, if I, if I, fill out this application and if they accept it and send me money um, that I'm basically saying I'm a failure and like what I'm going backwards in my career. All of my friends went to nice colleges, were on track to be lawyers, doctors, uh, they're in medical sales. They were doing something and moving upwards. And I, I kind of had this weird journey where I had these skills that I didn't know what to do with. Mm. I could, I was a communicator. So all my, Pastor buddies were like, bro, you need to go to seminary and be a pastor. I didn't feel like that's what God wanted. I was a musician and that's what I wanted to do is be a rock star. And I did all the right things and God wasn't quite letting that work out. Um, you know, I liked the internet. I liked the web and I liked reading and I liked video games. Like none of these were helpful skills. It's like, what? what? And so I, I sold advertising for a while and I was awful at that. I worked at a software company. So I felt like here I was 26. I haven't, I'm not going anywhere. And now I'm going to apply for a food stamp. So this is what's going on in my head of like, this is just a physical representation of me, like not having any career arc in my life. And I feel like I should. Yeah. So I, that's where I struggled, I think. It's funny though, Graham, because now the day and age we live in, I think you can make a good living at video games. <laughs> I know. <laughs> 
definitely was the, I yeah. definitely was making a living playing Tech Mobile back in the day on no. Nintendo. Question for you would be, um, in that season of where you really had to lay down your pride, um, that's, you know, you're getting assistance, you know, for providing for your family, which as a, as a dad, and I, you know, I can only imagine what that feels like. It's, it's hard for us, right? We commit to taking care of our, our families. Um, your pride has to take a back seat at that point. You're also not maybe getting a lot of traction on videos. You're getting some likes. What do you do to manage, I guess, is there disappointment in that season? And if there is, how did you manage that yourself? So there was two things going on. One, there was the disappointment of not making any money. But you know what I think was good, though, is that I didn't know that I didn't know what was possible online with business. So like right now, I have students that I'm coaching with their online businesses and they're comparing themselves to people that are doing like a $100,000 launch, like it's no big deal. And like, oh, I'm so, I only did $10,000 because they have something to compare themselves to and they're always disappointed. And I didn't have that. I didn't know that anything was possible. So actually, I was easily pleased (laughs) when I made a hundred bucks online. I was like, somebody bought my digital thing, like my videos for a hundred, like they gave me money. Do they know that I'm just a guy in my spare bedroom, like trying to make ends meet? So that to me was exciting. So I, I viewed everything as if I made a hundred dollars and I don't know what I'm doing, but I can connect some of the dots of like, okay, they liked a YouTube video. They got on my email list to learn more. And then they heard about my course and they liked, I just saw a simple model that made sense. What if I could get in front of more people? What if I had more things to sell? This will just take time. But all the while my goal was just, like supplement my freelance income. So I really was trying to maybe make $2,000 a month and then maybe I make 2000 doing gigs and then I'm making 4,000 a month. I could pay the bills with that. And that's all my dream was. So I wasn't very disappointed because I had a small goal. <laughs> no, that's interesting. Um, by the way, we have some similarities too, from the standpoint of just the music. I used to have a band. I thought I was going to be the next John Mayer. I always joke about that. It obviously didn't turn out <laughs> that way. Tattoos. You got the tattoos somewhere, right? Uh, yeah, I definitely have some tattoos, but that's just so I can kind of pretend like I still might be a rock star someday. Like, that's what I'm going to do when I'm 65. <laughs> but used to do worship, but yeah, I was on staff at a church. And so we have that that similar background, um, which is probably why Heather was connecting some of these dots to connect us. You know, you said something, you just talk about, you make all these things sound really easy. And I think some of that has to do with just who you are as a person and 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 just your resilience probably to figure things out. But how much, my question for you would be, how much clarity do you think you need, you know, for, to move toward purpose? You know, so a lot of people are waiting until they've got it all figured out. You, you really didn't have a lot figured out. So my question for you, for anybody, would really just be, how much clarity do you think you actually need to get moving forward? So that's a great question. Some people are perfectionists. Some people, there's something called the extreme reach barrier. Like it's a mental block of like, oh, if I'm going to start a business, I have, they think of all the things that have to be done. I got to have the business card. I have to have the website. They go to the extreme of what has to be in place before they can move forward. So some people, that's a real struggle. Other people, maybe it's not so much. Um, What I've learned after creating this brand and seeing what works, and then now I have another one teaching business and online business, but similar format of what I'm doing. I've learned what's helpful for me is, is uh, being really clear on 
helping one type of person. So I literally from day one have envisioned my friends who were musicians back in the day and I have them in mind. So if I write an article, if I shoot a video, I'm speaking to them. So I, I it's some people call it like, you know, creating a customer avatar. Like I actually think of a real person, um, with real needs. And so I'm speaking to them without any weird salesy copy. I'm just trying to solve a real problem or show them something in a real conversational way, which is kind of my style as if we are sitting next to each other, having coffee and let me show you how to do this thing or explain this concept. And so it really helps because if there are other people like my friend <laughs> that I'm trying to help, those people will be attracted to what I'm doing. And all we need to do in anything in life to, 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 if your goal, let's say, is business, to sell product, you need customers, I think the easiest way to get customers is to just start helping people. And so that's what I like about my model is, is you help people for free. It's very front-driven on the free end. I have to give first. Um, and so I have to give articles and videos, podcasts that are actually valuable to people for them to learn to know about me, trust me, like me, if they want to go deeper with me. So I don't worry too much about if I have anything to sell when I'm starting. It's more of, can I help people? Can I build an audience by helping people? Can I, even if it's small, I don't need a million followers. If I can just have a small group of influence where I can really help these people, uh, then I feel like that's all the clarity I need is who are they? How, what is their, their stated problem what is their unstated problem underneath that problem and just try to get in their head and just serve them a little bit they'll tell you if something resonates if no one likes your content or nobody interacts with it you'll know that maybe i'm not hitting it on the head or if you share a, an idea and then everybody's reacting with it maybe you're on to something and then that kind of helps you clarify your voice like for me i had ideas in year one now almost 10 years later i kind of know what my three or four hot button issues are in the music space because I've gotten known for those things, and so I, I, I speak about them more often and with more clarity. And so that happens only by putting out content. It doesn't happen in isolation by, like, guessing. You know, you have to – I think Marie Forleo once said that engagement or clarity doesn't come by thinking. It comes by engagement. You've got to engage with people to get clear on what you even believe. You know, my dad, he has this – I don't know if he still has it anymore. He has in his email signature – it's a Latin phrase. I don't know what it is in Latin. Maybe you know, but the English translation is to write is to think. And that's his whole deal is like, you're, you'll know what you think about something if you start writing about it. And so if you're an author, which you are, you know that process. As you're writing down your thoughts, it becomes more clear. And uh, that, that means you have to start. You just have to start. And nowadays, there's so many ways to start sharing social media. You don't even have to have a website. You could just start sharing, helping some people, and figuring out who you are, who you're helping, and what your voice is. You make generosity sound very natural to you. And, you know, you were in a position where you needed to make money. Mm -hmm. Yet you made a decision to give, even though you had urgency to meet a need. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about that. Was that ever a struggle for you on how do I give this away when I need to actually get paid for this? Did you ever wrestle with that? Or has this just been just the way you are? I think if I remember the way I was thinking about it back then, I viewed the content that I made as my marketing. Hmm. So I never felt bad giving it away. I felt like it was, it was my ad spend. You know, I don't spend money on ads. I suppose I spend time on content. It's, a, it's the same. It's a currency. It's a way to get out there. So I viewed it as make as much content as I can, give it away, give good stuff away so that people pay attention to me. You know, if it's not good, 
I mean, why would I pay attention to it if it wasn't good? If it was just sort of generic. Um, I also was really passionate about certain things in our, our industry and niche. And I had some strong opinions about things. And since I, maybe since I had nothing to lose, <laughs> I just said what I thought. Um, and some of that got some traction. Uh, people disagree. People call me names. Some people were like, thank you for saying this. I've been thinking this for years. And I, I think maybe I just viewed my content as my, my contribution to get noticed. I don't feel like I had any right to sell anything if nobody knew who I was. So it's funny how I, I stumbled into marketing this way by giving first because it kind of just made sense to me. And, and these days when there's other ways to get eyeballs, um, I interact with people who are, are, they don't put out any content and they're, they're confused. Why would I want to make content? And, and to me, that's all I, that's what, that's what works in my mind. It's the most natural way to get eyeballs. So I guess it just was natural to me and it's the only way I knew. Now, to be fair, there are, like, as a Christian, I read the Bible and there are passages of scripture that basically tell you that this is true. So I kind of, I, I don't want to say that, like, I, I 100% believed any of these scriptures with, without any faltering or doubt, but I can back up what I've been doing with scripture and say that kind of makes sense. That's what God's been saying for thousands of years. So, you know, I think about Proverbs, um, is it 11, 24, and 25? You know, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer, and another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. And I kind of look at that paradox of maybe there's something there about the people who give, um, whether it's their time, their content, their, their, uh, I hired a guy years ago who reached out to me who like basically told me, here's what I would do to grow your business. I would do this, I'd do this. He gave me all his secrets in the interview yeah. and I hired him because he already gave it to me. Like there's something magnetic about generous people. So in a way, I, I understand the proverb of people that give freely they don't have to worry about anything because they're going to be more attractive in the marketplace. Uh, it's, it's hard to quantify. It's very vague, but I think it's very real. And uh, certainly in the online digital land, the more content you put out, the more you're giving freely, the, the more your name grows. It's, it's pretty simple math. <laughs> yeah. Talk about a marketing strategy though, right? That's not maybe super sexy, but like would really work, you know? And that's, that's pretty interesting. Um, just, curious because you talk about putting out content um, and having people, you know, not like what you're saying. People like what you're saying. Where did you, at what point did you kind of just realize, I'm going to say it regardless of good or bad feedback. Did you ever have that decision point for you at all where you had to figure out, you know what, I don't care how good they say I am. I don't care how bad they say I am. This is my lane. How did you get that laser focused and clear? Or did you ever not have, or did you not have that moment? There were a couple posts years back where I was nervous about hitting publish, you know, because um, I, I could understand how some people could be upset. And I think for a couple of those, I, I actually wasn't nervous enough. I didn't realize how many people would be upset and disagree with me. Um, so I probably had a little bit of naivety where I was like, yeah, I'm sure this will, some people will disagree. So maybe that helped me just kind of get it out there. But what's funny is I, I wrote a post. So in, in any industry online, right, people can download illegal software, right? And, and that's like a real thing. But in the music industry, there's things called plugins that we use, right, to help our music sound, sound good. And you can buy them individually and you could spend 100 to 200 bucks per plugin and people spend thousands of dollars on these things. And 
you can rip them off. There's cracked versions of the software everywhere and you can download them. And I used to use them in college until I had like a change of heart. and was like, I got to get rid of all the legal stuff and just buy it right out. And so I, I was talking to some people about this and they were complaining about how expensive this extra software is. And that's why they got to download it. Um, and that's how they justify legally downloading it. And you can actually use the free versions of these softwares that come with your in your computer and you don't need to buy any, I, I had this whole premise of like, there's actually even no reason to download the illegal software because you can still make a professional record without the expensive stuff. So I, I had this idea, I'm going to write this article uh, called grow up and stop using cracked plugins. And so I made the case for why illegally downloading software is actual theft because some people don't believe it's theft and they like, well, it's, it's digital. So it's not theft. <laughs> like you stole something that you should pay for. So I had this article about, what, what is theft? It was a very much a moralistic article. This is wrong. This is right. I'm not tooting my horn. I'm just saying we can all agree this is wrong. You don't have to steal it. Uh, here are some alternatives that are free. So you don't even have to steal the stuff. Um, and I had no idea how many people I would piss off with this article. And uh, I got so many comments. So go, imagine a blog that maybe I got 10, 20 comments, maybe 30 comments. I write this article and I got like 300 comments. And uh, it crashed my server because I was using the cheap, like $4 GoDaddy. You know, my, my, my grandmother uses the same hosting platform for her blog. And they're like, bro, you're doing way too much bandwidth. They shut my site down. And, um, and this was a, like a firestorm where people just had so many nasty things to say to me. You know, you just, you're just, it's white privilege. And, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know how hard it is. And it was very interesting because it really got a conversation started. A lot of people were actually convicted, like, dude, I think you're right. I got rid of my, my illegal stuff. Other people called me names, called each other names. Um, but that was the beginning of me realizing, hey, I got a lot of attention. <laughs> and, uh, and it wasn't attention just for the sake of let me just get attention. I genuinely believe everything I said in that article. Yeah. So that was like a turning point for me of not everything I'm going to share online is going to be controversial. But there's probably a few key issues that are near and dear to my heart that I truly believe in that are different than what other people think. And I realize that's really good for business. That's really good for branding to say what you actually believe, especially this was seven, eight years ago. I mean, there's so many more people talking online these days. So how are you going to stand out if you look the same, sound the same, say the same thing? Even if it's good, it's hard to get noticed. So I thought, Whenever I'm on that line of like, man, should I really post this? Should I really say this? That's when I know I probably should because it's going to get a good conversation started. And, and I, I'm not going to say I didn't have, like, I don't have super thick skin. Like, I want everyone to be happy with me. I'm a people pleaser. It's hard to get negative comments when you've, you're working really hard, especially for giving free stuff away. You want everyone to like it. But I learned in year one that that's virtually impossible. So I gave up trying to make everybody like me. And now I'm just trying to help as many people that, will listen, help as many of them as I can. I used to despise reading when I was growing up and it wasn't until I was 29 that I actually read a book. And since then I've been hooked. I'm in usually three books at a time and I love learning through reading. It's a huge part of my fight for brilliance in my life and what helps me rebel against complacency and conformity is learning from others. And what I want to do is every single month I'm going to give away one book, a book that I've gone through, a book that I've read that has helped me, that's challenged me. I want to give that away to somebody. And all you have to do if you want a chance to get that book is be signed up for the Fight for Brilliance newsletter. To do that, just text the word brilliant to the number 33777. That's the word brilliant to the number 33777. 
777. And every single month, I'm going to put all the names into a drawing and select one person to win each month. So make sure you're signed up and be following me on Instagram at Keller Thinks, where I'll keep you up to date on what book I'm giving away each month. All right, let's get back into this conversation with Graham as he's going to talk about how his business does not come first in his life and how he's able to get more done in less time. There's a lot of posts out there and, and, and you know, really well-known people saying things like, you know, just don't care what anybody thinks. I've, I've wrestled with that personally because I actually do care what people think. I think if I get rid of consideration of what others might perceive, then I might just, you know, I might just really insult instead of creating, like you're saying, conversations. How do you feel about the balance of not caring yet, you know, wanting to relate? and start conversations. I think that's a great, a great way to think about it. I think you do need to care. Um, Are you familiar with the Mockingbird Journal? No, what is that? It's, there's a ministry out of Charlottesville, Virginia, and it's a, it's like a magazine, but I think it's only quarterly. And it's just like super smart Christians that write about current events and um, they theme their issues out. Um, It's like one issue is on mental illness and it's like, you know, interesting interviews, interesting books. Yeah. Anyway, I only bring them up because their slogan as, uh, as Christians trying to live in a secular world and the slogan for their journal is to care and not to care. And, and it's, and it's kind of like, I view that in the same way with businesses. Like, I think we do need to care what we say and care about who is going to listen to it and be sensitive. And I, I'm not a traditional author in the sense that I've never written any books but as, as someone that shares information, ideas, and content, I, I think about the audience, the people that I would be would potentially be picking up the book. I need to think about what are their objections going to be. There are going to be a wide variety of people. How can I say things in the most helpful way possible? Because I don't want to, again, just spark controversy. I want to help people. So I'm probably going to help the people that already like me, already think like me. But I also want to pull over the people that don't think like me, aren't like me. So the more I can understand their objections and acknowledge their objections and speak to their objections. I think that shows a a little bit of respect. Like, okay, this guy understands that I don't agree with him. And again, I can't convince everybody, but I do want to care how they might perceive it and then be a little more considerate in that way. But ultimately I can't care because I could be as careful as possible and they could still hate my guts or just, they don't like my t-shirts or my hair, you know? So there's something for them to not like they'll always find something um no i like that a lot and it's the idea of if you approach it from i'm here to convince i think you're off to the wrong start anyway probably right yeah that's not a conversation that you're looking to have you're just making statements at that point all right so what really sparked um my interest in this conversation with you one i'm really glad we're having this conversation and we're connected um there's so many different things we could talk about but with the time we have left what i really want to focus on is Something that I think is very commendable, very uh, just something I admire a lot about you without even having to know you in person, and that is how rigid you are with your schedule, the commitment that you make to the things that matter most, which you've built a business that has done, uh, you, and you can, if you can share how much you want to share on that, but you've built a successful business. And it's not just a mom, pa shop kind of revenue. You built a big business. And so with that, most people do that at the cost of their family. You know, for me, my faith is important for you. Your faith is important. We usually do that at the cost of our faith. 
uh, the cost for our mental health, our physical health. Um, and it all starts with this word that you and I both feel the same about and that word hustle. And I want to talk about that because I actually wrote a, a chapter in the book, Human Always, that I'm, I'm finishing up right now about how time is actually on our side and patience and diligence. And, and you said, and I don't know who wrote, if I wrote my first or if you published your video first, I got to look back, but you're going to probably accuse me of stealing it from you. But we, you literally went to the same thing, the same point from instead of hustle to diligence. And I just, I, I just really resonated with that. But your schedule is very rigid. Talk to me about the commitment to your schedule. Talk to me a little bit about this idea of hustle and maybe some of the, the lie that we're believing as entrepreneurs or anyone building even a church. I feel like it's in a lot of ways, some of my audience, they're going to be, you know, business owners, they're going to be church planners uh, or just pastors at churches right now. Entrepreneurs and pastors, are, it's very similar, you know, and the level of commitment that it takes, the isolation that can be there, just the drive that's required. Talk to me about hustle. Talk to me about your schedule. First, talk about how much you work each week and talk about the schedule first because I love this. Yeah, so I, I do agree. I, I don't know who wrote it first, but when I read that chapter that you sent me of your book, it literally, I was so happy because I've, I've found other people that, that like what I'm talking about and kind of agree, but I had never heard anybody literally say the exact same thing. So I was like, maybe I'm not the only crazy person. Right. So uh, I'm excited for your book to come out. Um, Thank you. So, okay, schedule. So these days I work um, Monday through Thursday uh, from nine-ish to two-ish. So about five hours a day, four days a week. And that's on two businesses. Uh, so that this all came from when I was starting this business, I was church planning. And it was set up, tear down. So I was in the band. So Saturdays, I would lose half a day to like go to the storage unit, bring the gear to some other person's church, set up, rehearse. I'd be home. I'd leave at eight in the morning, be home one or two or three in the afternoon and be like, well, how much of our Saturday do we have left, babe? Not much to go do something. Sundays is the same thing, set up, tear down for the church. So I would lose half a day each week, weekend day. So I didn't have one full day off. And so I started to take Fridays off at the um, encouragement of a wiser, older gentleman who's like, well, bro, you have to find a way to take Fridays off then. And I remember thinking, you know, how am I going to do this in four days a week? I can't start a business in five days a week. Like I, I need 10 days a week. Um, but in a way that was a gift from God to force me to have this false boundary of make it happen in four days. And I was for sure not going to work past five because my wife was like, look, I'm here with this baby all day. Like, you're coming back home, quote unquote, out of the office at five at some point, right? And so I assumed, yeah, like I should just have normal hours so I can be with my wife, be with my baby at the time. And so I was like, I got to do this nine to five, Monday through Thursday. So I started with 32 hours a week. That's the most I've ever had. Um, and there's there's two powerful things. I love um, Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Work Week. I don't agree with everything he he believes in and we don't have the same worldview, but I, that does not take away from the brilliance of at least there's a section in that book on he calls elimination and it's all, it's all the 80, 20 rule. It's all Pareto's principle and it's all Parkinson's law and how those two things, if you harness those two things, you'll realize Parkinson's law. I use that all the time. It's that just states that work expands to fill the time we give it. 
And we, it's like this concept that, you know, if I give myself a week to write this chapter of a book, it's going to take a week. If I got to write it in the next 24 hours, I'll somehow get it done uh, because of focus. And so when we have these fake false deadlines that we can give ourselves as like a little hack, we have to eliminate the waste. So we find ourselves off of our phone less, we're in email less. Like we, it forces us to think about what do we actually have to do to get this result? And I, I think a lot of us are more wasteful than we think. So it's actually very easy to build something in less time than we think if we're willing to analyze our activity and our time and be really honest with ourselves and to discover what of all the activities we do generate, generate most of the results and what ones just make us feel good about ourselves because we feel like we did something. So where did, which one, which one did you, sorry to stop. I want to stop there real quick and ask you, which one did you have to look at in your own life personally and say, you know what, as much as I like that, I don't have as much time for that. Where did you have to sacrifice? So this might sound backwards for someone creating an online business, but I found that interacting with people's comments on YouTube uh, and social media just wasn't the highest, best use of my time. So like within a first year, even though my YouTube channel was small, um, I realized I'm spending so much time answering people's questions on the YouTube channel uh, and then eventually email. I eventually ended up hiring a guy to just handle my email and go through a lot of it for me because I was losing hours and hours a day answering people's questions. Now, these are good people, have great questions, and you want to feel like you can respond to all of them. But in my mind, excuse me, I was like, what's going to drive the business forward? It's like putting out more content and building more products. And I can't do that if I'm answering every question. So where I have friends, for example, who I've had this conversation and I don't, I don't know where you land, so I'm not trying to call you out at all or whoever's listening, but I have a friend who differs completely on this than me. He said, you have to respond to every comment on all your social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. And if you can't physically do it, you hire. He's got three or four assistants that he pays to double up on what he's doing so that everybody gets a response and a comment. That's like what he believes is most important. And I just disagree. I, I feel like that's not going to really drive the business forward. It's nice. It's good. But making my content and making my products is what actually will grow the business and feed my family. So to me, I, would, I eliminated YouTube. I got rid of uh, all the, most of the time in my inbox um, by outsourcing some of that and then trying to make it harder for people to find me and email me. And I had an autoresponder, you know. So a lot of that was how I eliminated. Uh, and then the, thing, the things I like to do, spend time just reading random stuff on the internet. You know, I get lost on like a cool article. I love learning. So I've had to be intentional about giving myself time to learn. But like it's scheduled. Like here's your learning time, Graham, like on Wednesday or whenever during these hours. Then you can watch all the videos you wanted to watch, listen to the podcast you wanted to listen to. But right now you're working. And that means pump out an article. Get that product done. So you did this because you, what mattered to you most was, and I, I heard you say this before, but your family, you wanted to be involved still with your church. And so you did this knowing that mattered more. It did because the business to me, when I started, it wasn't a means to like my self-realization or like my awesomeness. It was a means to pay the bills, you know, and, and that was all it was at the time. And so to me, as much as I liked it and was happy to be home working on something I believed in instead of at an office doing something I didn't believe in, to this, even to this day, and although I struggle with this because I'm a human, even to this day, like, I feel like my business has always got to be backseat. Like, I don't care about it that much because I, I want to have my family intact, 
I want to be a part of my church. And those take time and those relationships take time. So I always view them as first. And then whatever's left is what I'm going to give my business. And I know, and we agree, a lot of people do it the opposite. They believe the business, they'll give that whatever it needs. Uh, and then whatever's left over, they give to the family or faith or their health or sleep. And the problem with that is twofold, right? One is it assumes that your business or your career or your work is ultimate. And eventually when you get successful, you realize it's not ultimate. Mm -hmm. Just look at all the celebrities and all the athletes and all the people that have reached the top and then they commit suicide or they, their families fall apart or they need something else or they just do something stupid because it's not fulfilling and I'm not calling them out. It just show it. We, we could just look, we could just look and see that that doesn't satisfy. So that's a huge assumption you're basing to say, make this the ultimate. But the other problem is just practical. If you don't have any kind of boundary on your work or time, it'll always expand. That's Parkinson's law. Like there's, you and I have a million things we can do. You've got a team with your business. You, you probably could have a million other team members to do all the things you'd like to do. There's no end or shortage of work to be done. And even if you got ahead, well, there's stuff for next month or next year or other partnerships. So to me, that's like this ever expanding list. And then if we don't put a boundary around it, of course there's going to be no time for family or health or sleep because this thing expands and then the only way we stop working is when we pass out or we burn out or we get cancer or something awful happens. And so if we reverse it and put family and whatever is important to you first and then leave some room for work, then you're forced to somehow make something happen in those hours. And what I've learned is that you can get a lot done in a little amount of time and over time you can get more and more efficient it's hard at the beginning but then people say well Graham you, you, you preach like working so many so few hours but when you started didn't you have to hustle and we'll get to that word didn't you have to hustle at the beginning and that's when I tell them I only had 32 hours a week at the beginning that's the most I've ever had um, so no I never hustled or worked late nights like I didn't have that option so if if I can find a way to now if my business grew slowly so maybe, maybe it won't grow as fast as you want. There's, there's that negative. But I think over time, I'd rather have a slow-growing, sustainable business where I'm not dead and I haven't killed all my relationships um, than have some quick success but don't know who I am anymore and have burned myself out. So I don't think you have to hustle at the beginning. But I do think over time, if you continue to assess, you can minimize and reduce and get more efficient every year. So I've taken a 32-hour a week business down to about five hours a week for, for the recording revolution. It only takes me five, five of my hours is all it takes of a couple of, of contractors, no real full-time employees, but between eliminating stuff that I thought was important, it's not really that important, automating things with tools and software, thank, thank God for the internet these days, and then outsourcing whatever I can't eliminate or automate, um, or just, just, yeah, that's it. And then over time, you just reduce it down to the minimum. It's like a game to me. Like every, every January, I'm like, all right, how few hours can I work this week and things not fall apart? Or this year and things not fall apart? And to me, that's fascinating because it shows me how wasteful I was last year or the year before. And if I can recoup those hours, I can spend them doing other things. Absolutely. You said something. I don't know if I read it on your website or if you said it on your video. Regardless, you said, honestly, the thing I'm most proud of regarding my business is that it doesn't take over my life, rather it serves it. And I just thought that was an interesting statement because you said, I mean, I love the way you said it, the way I've been communicating for myself is I've been forced to rethink my life with, as a co-parent and wanting to be more present with my son. 
the, the shift I've made is see, I was the hustler. I was the one working the late nights always. I was the, the guy who, you know, thought that my pedigree was being built based on how busy I was. I, I really did believe that. And I thought I looked successful by doing that. But I have seen that what I want instead is I want to build first my life and then see what kind of business fits into that instead of building a business and then see what's left for life the way you said it. So I resonated with that. Talk to me about the hustle thing because I struggled with it and I never thought of it the way you said this um, on your video, which everyone, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to the video. It is, I mean, I, I really do have a lot of respect for the way you articulated it and approached the idea that you were very smart about it. Um, I wish I would have seen it before I wrote my chapter. I would have stole some of your, your stuff from it, but you called hustle laziness in disguise. Can you talk to me about that? Why is it? Cause hustle would, I would think what we see on Instagram and anywhere else is hustle means you're out there making it happen. Right. Why would it be laziness in disguise? Right. Because it depends on how you view activity. So yeah, someone who's hustling is doing a lot of things. So they look busy. Our culture, it, it, our culture elevates busyness, activity. We don't even have to know if it's actually productive or not. Mm. That's why you can be in corporate America and just have a spreadsheet up and just type the keyboard and your boss thinks you're doing something. They're just happy that you're in, a, in the seat, <laughs> busy, which is, is so silly. So we elevate that. And then if we saw somebody sitting on, uh, on like a park bench outside of a building and reading a book in the middle of the day, we'd be like, what is that person doing? They're so lazy. They're just reading should be working or doing something. So there's, there's, that, there's a giant assumptions in our culture. But I think hustle is laziness in disguise because what a lot of people are doing are all the things, but they don't know which of those things are actually strategically building their business or getting them success. So it's lazier and easier to just do all the things because you don't have to think well, I'll just post on Snapchat and Instagram and I'll have a blog and I'm a podcast and I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And they just go, 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 go because they haven't stopped to do the harder work, which is analyze what of all this stuff actually helps me in my business. Now, it's different for almost everybody. There are a few commonalities, but some people, like for me, social media doesn't drive my business. I don't need social media to, to drive any kind of business. My wife uses social media strategically to drive business. So for her, Instagram is very important, but we both have the same, we've sat down and looked at what of my activity is actually strategic and worthwhile. And that takes work to just do all the things doesn't take any work. And what's funny, and, and, and we talked about this, I think a little bit via email, or at least we agree when I read your chapter is, I think it's really trendy to promote hustle these days. Yeah. Trendy, and it's what people actually want to be told. People want to hustle. They want to be told, you know, from any of the gurus, you can have whatever you want if you just hustle harder because that takes the pressure off our, us needing to be talented, gifted. It takes the pressure off of us needing to rely on luck. There's so many things that aren't in our control. We like to be told we do have control, and we think hustle is the only thing we can control. And as Americans, at least, I mean, that's our ethos. Like we built this country by just doing stuff and getting it done. So we almost eat it up and then we don't have to think. It's almost harder. If I got up and said, the way to grow your business is to work as little as possible and figure out what is the most strategic use of your time. You'd be like, oh, I, can't, I don't know what's the most strategic. Don't make me think. Don't make me, just tell me to hustle and I'll go 10X my business. So I think it's lazy to just go, 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 go. I would rather slow down for a day 
analyze my activity, and then just do the things that truly drive my business forward. Well, we don't have time to get into it, but everyone needs to watch Graham's video. He actually breaks down the definition of the word hustle, which is exactly what I did when I approached that chapter was, let's look at this word. Is it even what we think it is? And so I think Graham and I don't have to tell you, just go to Webster's Dictionary and you can look up yourself and, and ask, do I like how hustle makes me feel? I think would be, don't listen to us. <laughs> just make the decision yourself, if anything. But Graham, I've seen and you've seen firsthand and it, just how rewarding it is to slow down, be more present, be more focused. I haven't skipped a beat in revenue. If anything, we, I've been able to be more efficient with it. I've uh, eliminated overhead even in the process. And I, I think setting myself up to get better at the business I'm building because I'm not worried about someone else's pace. And so you've, you've experienced that. I've experienced that. And I, I really do desire that people stop buying into this lie that it's just all about how fast and how hard you're going. Cause there's hard work and hustle are not the same thing. And that's not what you're saying. That's not what I'm saying at all. This country was built by hard work. Every great business, GE or whatever you want to look at, Apple was built by hard work. Um, and I think very strategic, diligent work and it would do a disservice to actually call it and label it probably hustle. So anyway, yeah, all right. you made the same distinction in your chapter that diligence is the better word. It's so uncanny that we both went there because I, I do believe in hard work, but if you look, that's why, yeah, just go to Webster's dictionary, type in hustle, see what you think about that, that, uh, description of that word, what that means, and then type in the word diligence. And I think diligence is the more honoring approach. I think diligence is what we want. But diligence doesn't mean fill every hour of your day working. Um, and man, this is hard because I, and I know we got to wrap up, but I was thinking about this because I've talked to some people about hustle and they'll go, yeah, but I like it. I like it. And I just, I think that's, that's been a different conversation we need to ask. Like, so why are you in business? If you just like running around with your head cut off, that's, it's your decision. But I think you need to be honest with yourself that you don't want the business to be successful. You just like feeling busy or important because those are two different things. I, I, I think we're both living proof. You can have a successful business and it doesn't require you to sacrifice your whole life for it. So that's not the only way. But some people like feeling important and doing all the things makes them feel important. So then there's other conversations to be had. But I just want people to be honest with themselves. And if they feel burned out, if they feel like they're losing family time or health time or sleep or they can't take a vacation, that's, uh, that's how Heather Parody, who connected us, that's how she got a hold of my stuff. She couldn't go on a family trip for the weekend because she had too much work to do. And her cousin was like, what's your problem? You're, you, you own your business. You cannot work. And she's like, I got so much to do. He's like, you need to check out this guy Graham's stuff because that's what business owners do. We love what we do. And then we can't take a day off because we're, we're stuck. So I don't want people to be stuck. I just want them. I want everything to fit together and, and everything has its place. I love that about you, man. I love just your approach. It, it's inspiring me because I can talk a big game and act like this is easy to live out, but it is hard for me. And I, to actually get comfortable with this, you know, when I know for me personally, I can't speak for everybody, but needing that feeling of success was really just rooted in my insecurities that I had to prove something that nobody was asking me to prove. And so I don't know what it is for everybody else, but 
you know, I think there's a bigger issue going on if you need the busyness to feel accomplished. I don't know what that is, but there's something else going on. All right, we're going to wrap it up. Um, I know we went a a little bit longer today than I was planning with you, but you've had so much that's great to say and everyone's going to love hearing it. I've got just a few questions that I want to do kind of rapid fire with you. Just love to kind of end it this way. Um, First thing would be this, you know, what's one thing that you would change in your life or in your business right now? Hmm. One thing I would change right now. Well, like this week, this week feels like busier than normal. So I feel like I would, I would, uh, not have scheduled this vacation that I was coming up on Saturday, the same week that I hired a guy, the same, like, so I would have rescheduled this week. Uh, you know what? I would probably stay off of social media even more than I do. Like a guy that says, I don't like to be doing all the things like I still have FOMO. I still have the fear of, am I missing something that smart people? So I still struggle with that. So if I, if I could change anything about my business right now, I would be even more hard, hard cut to cut myself off from a lot of that. All right. That's good. So who has been the most influential person in your life and why? I can't pick one person. I've just, I've consumed so many books. I've had so many mentors as it were. I would say a couple of books that have been instrumental. So the go giver by Bob Berg and John David Mann, everybody should go read that. Whatever you do. It's a short little book. You can read it in an hour. It's written like a parable or a little story. That book is exactly how I feel about business. I found it after I'd started my business, but it clarified a lot of my thoughts. Um, the go giver, the go giver, you said yeah, the go giver by Bob Berg. Um, uh, Tim Ferriss's four hour work week, that book, I even did a review on the book. I first time I read it, I bought it at Barnes and Noble. I returned it cause I thought it was a joke. <laughs> I returned that book and it's like, this isn't possible for me. This is when I was working in corporate America. And so I ended up buying that book years later. I reread that book every year. Um, he just, his thinking in that book challenges me even more. Like, are you doing work for work's sake? As he calls it, what do you truly want? Mm. your life. I think I saw one of your Instagram posts, like you got to define what it is you want life to look like. You don't, you don't drift into the life you want, right? So you have to define it and that takes intentionality and we're too busy. So that book always challenges me. So he mentored me a lot in that way. And, and then in a practical level, I learned a lot from uh, Ramit Sethi. He runs growth lab and I, I love him, man. Yeah. He's actually a really good dude. I've been able to meet him uh, a couple times, but I learned a lot more about copywriting and the way he does content and he's just, he's really good at engaging with people. And I learned a lot from him over the years for watching how he did business. And, um, and so he's been a huge influence. In, and he in, gives, he gives, 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 you um, know, his content is worth paying for, the free content is worth paying for. So anyway, I agree with you on that. Um, okay. What's one piece of advice that you would give, uh, for building a strong marriage? Oh my gosh. Um, I would say read Philippians chapter two, verse three and four that uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. If you can view your spouse as more significant than you, which is really hard to do because ultimately we view them at maybe equal, but just under like, I married you because I want you to make my life awesome. Uh, it's hard, easy to say hard to do, but if you can do that, actually look out to their interests, dude, it'll change the game because they will like you more. They'll want to serve you more because you're magnetic, you're generous, you're, not self-focused, you're focused on them. So that's probably the secret. And that's also how you learn about your spouse. The only way to have a good marriage from what I'm gathering is I got to, and I got to relearn. My wife's changed so much. I got to, I got to keep relearning. So that helps me 
dial into her and not be so self-absorbed. How many kids do you have? Two, two girls, age 10 and seven. Awesome. Okay. So the last question then that I'll, I'll ask selfishly because I have a four-year-old would be what's one piece of advice that you'd give for parenting? For me, it's, I need to lighten up because my personality is I'm like, I want the house to be clean. I want you to like, listen to what I say. So I've needed to lighten up. Um, but also I would just say, you know, don't make your kid the center of your home. That, that makes kids turn out to be really weird and jacked up when they grow up. And then don't make yourself the center of your home because then that makes kids that resent you. So for us, Jesus has to be center of our home. And if you're not a Christian, then you got to have something else that's the center of your home that's not you or your kids because it just your kids will be jacked up either way. <laughs> totally. Well, I, I love to close out just with a simple thing. And I just want to acknowledge and just commend you because what I see in you is somebody who has chosen to fight for a brilliant life for the, him, for his family. And you're, you're helping others do that too. But the way that you've committed to doing that for you and your family is something that I have just a deep admiration and respect for because it's not very common I know a lot of successful business guys who are not successful at home and that's not going to be your story. And so I just want to commend you for that. And thanks for inspiring me and uh, taking the time to do this today. Dude, thanks for having me. And thanks for writing your, your stuff, man. I cannot wait for your new book. So please keep sharing the message and steal as much as you want. I think it's, I don't think you stole anything. I think the more of us sharing this message, the better. So get it out there, man. Where do they, where do you want people to connect with you online? Even if you don't like using social media. That's right. Yeah. I do more hanging out on Instagram. So I'm at the Graham Cochran. You can check out everything there. Cool. All right. Everybody needs to follow him and I'll make sure there's links to Graham everywhere um, in the show notes. So thanks again, Graham. Thanks for having me, Justin. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Graham and all of the links to everything about him, his social media and his website, all that will be inside of the show notes. So stay connected with Graham beyond the show. But from this episode, I think the big thing for me was I know it's not possible for everybody to create the type of schedule and the type of life that Graham has created. And that freedom isn't always available to everybody. But I do think that no matter what, if you're working for someone or running your own business, it doesn't matter. The idea is we can all get more efficient with our time. We can, we are all probably wasting some of our time. We have more time than we realize, or at least we can do more with the time that we have than we realize. And so that's the big takeaway for me. It's, it's challenged me after I had that conversation with him. I looked at a lot of things that I was doing and I was, I've been trying to find those areas that I can eliminate the waste, as he said. And so I would just challenge you to do the same. So thank you for listening to this episode. And as always, let's be a community of gratitude. So just take a screenshot of this episode, mention Graham and something that you took away from the show and tell him thank you for sharing with us and, or just send him a direct message and thank him directly for being in your corner this week. All right, until next time, here's your weekly reminder that you, yes, you, you are brilliant.